I signed the lease and I was very scared. And I got the keys in my hand on March 1st. And then COVID happened. Hello, print friends, and welcome to the 62nd episode of Pine Copper Line, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Line on Instagram and Facebook. And you can sign up for our monthly newsletter with print news from around the world, all at pinecopperline.com. We also have a Patreon page, where, if you like this podcast and you got a couple of dollars you'd like to contribute to something good, you can get super cool thank yous like stickers, buttons, totes, and postcards. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. This episode of Pine Copper Lime is brought to you by our sponsor, Speedball Art Products, who've been bringing a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. Their newest exciting initiative is Speedball's Print Posse. Working with contemporary printmaking icons, Speedball has invited each artist to design and name an ink of their choosing. Artists like Valerie Luth who worked with Speedball to design her stunning shade of relief ink, Electric Pink. Valerie is known for her extremely detailed and intricate woodcut she produces at Tugboat Print Shop, of which she is also a co-founder. Her Speedball Print Posse ink is a buzzing pink, perfect for some adding some pizzazz to your composition or using it to fluorescent tint other colors. For more information on Speedball's Print Posse, or to find out where you can pick up a can of your new favorite ink, check out speedballart.com. I'm very excited to welcome back to Pine Copper Lion my guest this week, Allie Norman. Her return marks the first repeat guest in PCL's two-year history. When we last left our hero, Allie had just been bequeathed a litho press and stones by a mysterious stranger at SGCI 2018 in Las Vegas. And this episode picks up where that story leaves off. She shares with us how she felt that Destiny kept pushing her towards opening her own community print studio, only to have the keys handed to her on the 1st of March, right before diving into the madness of COVID. She had to pivot her expectations and her business in unexpected ways, and now she's about to celebrate the grand opening of Labyrinth Studios on October 1st. If you'd like to hear more about her background and her current artistic practice, we all chatted about that the first time, so... Knock the dust off episode 10 and give that a listen. But without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get back into it with Allie Norman. Hi, Allie. How's it going? Hey, Miranda. Good to talk to you again. Um, I'm doing pretty good. How are you over there? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just in my podcasting nest tucked up against the door of my quarantine hotel, you know, just a normal 2020 kind of situation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, excellent. Yeah. It's such a weird time. It really is. It really is. But I am thrilled to have you back as Pine Copper Lime's first ever repeat friend, repeat guest, because you were on in the very early days, I think your episode 10, maybe, which, mm-hmm. you know, was approximately 10,000 million years ago. And you've been working and building and evolving in that time, as hopefully we all have. And you've got some exciting projects coming up that I'm really looking yes. forward to learning more about. But before we dive into that, would you just let people know who you are and where you are currently? And uh, how would you describe it is what you do? Okay, well, I am Allie Norman. I am currently located in Tampa, Florida. Um, It's been a pretty wild ride during all of this COVID stuff. I guess I'm like a just a lover of printmaking Mm. and magic. I consider the printmaking process like 
very alchemical and very spiritual and very connected to history and the earth. And it's like my lifeblood, you know, I love it so much. And I really love being a teacher. I really love sharing these things and um, keeping the traditions alive. And I think that's like my life dharma, I guess. Yeah, that's about where I'm at. <laughs> I Beautiful. do a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, we would got to do a pretty deep dive on your background, um, where you grew up, coming to art and all of that in the first episode. So I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes if anyone wants to, to hear that. But just so we're not tar- starting totally fresh, would you just tell us just a little bit about where you grew up and when did printmaking come into your life? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I actually grew up here in Tampa, Florida. Yes, I am a native Floridian. <laughs> Pri- proud of it, you know, yeah, in a weird yeah. way. I actually do really love it here. I'm really happy to be back. Um, I kind of traveled all over the place. And I originally, in high school, I really loved, I really loved drawing, but I also really loved darkroom photography because I just had this really cool photo teacher in high school. And so I kind of um, like putzed around and was undeclared in college for a while and decided like I wanted to actually go to art school and applied to SCAD and applied for a bunch of like scholarships and stuff. And, you know, my parents really did not take me seriously at all. (laughs) But I, uh, you know, eventually like decided to make it happen for myself and switched to SCAD and started taking it really seriously and like, you know, taking myself seriously as an artist. And I kind of just knew that I really liked chemicals and I really liked Mm -hmm. making a mess. And I, I really felt like there was kind of something inside of myself that I needed to like I always felt like it was something I needed to get out, you know, like I always needed to express something. And I I really liked photo and I really liked illustrating and, and stuff. And I actually took a lithography as a an elective. And I love lithography now, but you know, back then we were not exactly buds <laughs> <laughs> as as it usually goes with litho. But I kind of would in this litho class look through the door to the to the etching studio and see people etching and like you know like they're putting metal in like baths of acid and like what the heck are they doing like what the heck is that you know and so I signed up for etching and like wow I was like I pretty much dropped like everything else in my life and was like mm-hmm. this is it and it seemed very like illogical of a thing to pursue at the moment because my parents were like, why don't you do like digital art, you know, Mm -hmm. and at that time, I was like, very good at Photoshop, like pretty good with computers. And, you know, somehow it just like the analog really called to me, especially like, you know, I like you said, uh, in our little chat before this, like, we're all kind of secret nerds. And the chemistry and everything really just like, pulled me in and kept me there. And I ended up going on a little bit of like a, I guess, like a printmaking walkabout where I went and I lived in New York briefly, uh, lived in Rhode Island, you know, I did like some residency stuff. And then I went to grad school at UGA and I really loved that. And I got to teach and then, um, you know, I got lucky enough that I was kind of making also some money, like selling my prints just online kind of casually and got offered a job here in Tampa just to be like an adjunct, you know, and I thought that was really cool because I got to come home to where like my family is and it had been like, you know, 10 years at that point. You know, there's there's never really been any kind of community art space at all, period, in Tampa. Like, uh, it's basically there's a lot of really talented people here, but it's a little bit of a desert as far as like, there's no community spaces. There's no, there's, there's only like one gallery and it's all, you know, very conceptual. There's nowhere to learn any kind of crafts that's not behind like an institutional paywall. So I kind of had been like talking about how Tampa needed a print shop for, I don't know, like eight years or something like that. And then, you know, lots of synchronistic weird things happened to get me to where I am now. So why do you think it is that Tampa was kind of lacking in that community art space? Because it's not a small city. I really have no idea. Hmm. And, you know, St. Pete has 
St. Pete is like our other little sister city that's on the other side of the bridge. Um, and they have a much better arts scene. But even still, there's not really anywhere that you can go. And there's a small letterpress shop that you can learn some stuff in St. Pete. But there's no etching, no lithography. There's a, a Jewish cultural center where you can learn ceramics. But there's only one. There's like a two-year wait list to get in the class. Oh and you can't sell anything that you make in it or anything like that. You know, it's like hobbyists only. And I don't really know why. Like you said, it's a pretty big city. Like there's a lot of really cool and talented people here. And there's just no real hub for that kind of thing. And I kind of felt like very called to do that. But when yeah. I got here two years ago, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe in like five or six years, I think my long term plan would be to start mm -hmm. a studio. <laughs> and then, you know, life kind of just like kept pushing me that way. Like it was very obvious that that was what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah, because I know that. So the last time we spoke was on the heels of SGCI 2018 in Vegas. And you kind of had this synchronistic fate, kismet experience there, how, whatever you want to call it, where mm -hmm. you met someone there who was looking to basically bequeath a litho studio. And you were kind of in the right place at the right time. And that had just happened when we were talking, what happened with that? Is that part of the project that you're opening now? Yeah. So that was the beginning of many weird experiences like uh -huh. that. Very much like just synchronicity where, you know, I, you know, somebody's got some, you know, the widow of a dead lithographer has all this heavy, weird stuff in her house that she doesn't know what to do with, you know, and she contacted tamarind like what do I do with this mm -hmm. and you know I was I guess the only Floridian that anybody knew <laughs> and that was like willing to go like bring a U-Haul over there and grab all this stuff so I you know it ended up just kind of being one of those things where I was like in the right place at the right time and there's just not really that many Floridians doing this kind of stuff, especially lithography, like, oh my God, you know. Mm -hmm. And I felt really kind of intimidated because I liked litho, but I never really felt like I was super great at it. It was like, you know, it was like the first printing process that I had learned, but I never felt like a lithographer, you know. I always felt like, ooh, I don't know. And when I got all this equipment, it kind of forced me to be like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to make some lithographs, you know. <laughs> And I started getting pretty good at it. And, you know, the slowly, like, stuff like that happened where, like, people would send me equipment or people would find out about equipment that was not wanted or, you know, people just trying to get rid of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it also kind of became, like, this hobby of, like, always checking Craigslist and always checking, like, Facebook Marketplace for, like you know, people getting rid of stuff. Yeah. And when you say stuff, is it like, like presses or stones or plates? Like what kind of things were finding you? Oh my God. Literally anything and everything. Like I have a million eBay notifications for <laughs> like etching press, litho press, like, you know, whatever. Um, and I had, you know, my house, I live in like a 700 square foot cottage, you know, that's, a hundred years old and my house was like half printing equipment mm -hmm. and people just kind of kept asking me like, Hey, are you going to do workshops? Hey, are you going to be doing any of this? Is there any way I could use your press? And I remember like asking those questions when I was fresh out of undergrad, you know, mm -hmm. asking like whenever I would come here to visit my parents, I'd be like messaging the, you know, the couple little studios here that are master printers like hey could I pay you to come use your press yeah you know I'm in town for a month or two you know uh, with my parents or something and it was always like no <laughs> um, which I totally understand like they're they're master printers they don't want you doing that um, but it's like you know I remember feeling like oh I have all these skills and I have like this extreme love for this process and I can't even do it I can't even Mm -hmm. like find a place to go I have nowhere to go and I felt kind of like uh, empty and sad you know about yeah. that 
people were then asking me about my equipment and I was like, I felt really like, like I was remembering what it felt like to really want to be doing those things and to be really interested and to really just not have access to the equipment. And, you know, I had just been accumulating equipment for maybe like five years since I got my first little etching press and that one came from a junkyard, you know? Um, oh my gosh. And, and so, yeah, it's like, I really like fixing things and restoring things. And I really like collecting. I think honestly that I like the, just messing around with the machinery just as much as I like actually yeah. making the art and using the machinery. Well, didn't you say that like your, your father fixed cars or you had some connection where you, you kind of grew up tinkering. Is that right? Yeah, my my dad spent my whole childhood building it, an airplane in our that garage. That was it. That was it. It's amazing. Yeah, so like my, you know, there's all these pictures of me as like a little kid like doing fiberglass and rivets <laughs> and things like that, you know. So I just always like have really loved that stuff. Pretty much just like working with my hands in any way. And so, you know, I just kind of was like, well, you know, maybe I should just like look look into some spaces. You know, maybe I should just kind of yeah. check around. What, what, Very... what harm could it do, right? Just just right. Look. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like I was very non-committal about it. Very like casual. Like not gonna consider this like a big deal or anything. I was just gonna look around and and maybe I would find like a little bit of warehouse space or something. But you know, I was really looking for something that had like you know, a bay door that I could drive a forklift in and like what every woman wants, you know? Yes, yeah. exactly. The key to my heart, yeah. a bay door yep. and a forklift. <laughs> and a forklift. <laughs> so it was like, basically, <laughs> I just like started looking around and, you know, it was kind of, there was like, man, not so much cool stuff. And this was like the end of 2019. So it was like, you know, back when life was normal. And, you know, it was Christmas, I didn't really find anything. I wasn't really taking it too seriously, just kind of like looking around. And then maybe in like January or so, I kind of saw this like weird building with like a cardboard sign and the door like window that had like a Sharpie phone number on it. And that was like it. <laughs> Wait, did you just see it in person? Like you were walking by? Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, driving by. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's really close to my house. And I was just like, oh, weird. Like, I wonder what's in this building. And I called the number and was like, hey, are you guys like renting this building? It was just a Sharpie phone number. You know, I didn't really know like what that's about. Um, and they were like, oh yeah, we're going to be renting those soon. We just haven't really like put them, they're still being fixed up. Like, you know, they're not for rent yet. Um, but you can, you can look at them. And I was like, okay. And, you know, the one with the Sharpie phone number, it didn't really light my fire. But there was one down the road that was previously a doggy daycare. <laughs> but before that, it was a engine repair shop. And it was kind of like this old warehouse with this big, like, engine crane in it that, like, smelled like dogs. And <laughs> you know what? It was just... You know, it was just fate. And I I really was like, wow, like this is supposed to be like my space. Like I just like felt like what are the chances that I called this Sharpie phone number? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they took me to this other place that was just like this big, really beautiful vintage old car shop turned mm -hmm. retail space. And so in the front, it has these, like, big, beautiful, vintage, like, you know, retail windows. And, but then there's kind of, like, all these old cranes and cinder blocks. Oh, my God. And the big bay door in the back. And it's just very, like, you know, the best of both worlds. It like, you know, I was perfect. like, wow, this, right? So it was, like, really, and it was a little bigger than I expected. And I was like, well, maybe this front space could be more like a gallery, retail. We could have more of a community area in the back and and then it kind of like developed from like maybe I'll get a warehouse for myself to like maybe it'll be a community space to like maybe it'll also be a little bit of a gallery and then like maybe it'll also be like a community space for sharing ideas and then like you know and then it kind of developed into like a catch-all for like man it's just like people just need a space to be together and yeah. share ideas especially you know now so then you know um I signed <laughs> this is just like such a weird story but I had saved a little bit of money and 
And, you know, I got really lucky that my parents had this kind of little nest egg where they put a couple thousand bucks in in an account when I was like a baby or something. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, well, you know, you've been talking about wanting to do this forever. And we just, you know, I had no idea that that existed. But when, so it was like, it was even more serendipitous that they were like, "Uh, we think what you want to do for the community is really nice. And like, we saved this money for you when you were a kid. And like, now you can have it. So it was like, Wow. I was like, holy crap. That's so beautiful that they were just like, it was just this like, yeah, this little magic nest egg that like fell onto you like right when you needed it. Yeah, well, and they had always had it, but they never really told me. They were like, we thought like if you ever needed to, you know, like buy a house or get married or start a business or something that eventually you would need it for something. But they never... They didn't want to tell me that it existed, which I I actually think that's pretty cool. I was going to say, yeah, I think like if my parents had told me when I was like 21 that, you know, they'd had a nest egg for me, I'd be like, give it to me now. I'm going to go disappear into India for six months. Like, I just would have like... I'm going shopping. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, it would have, yeah, it would not have... um, not have had the destiny that it's that probably they meant for it had I known I had it yeah in my more wild days right so I really felt like I was like wow all this like you know pieces are kind of falling into place for this to to be a thing you know what I thought was a pipe dream maybe even like six months ago to like quickly became like something beyond my even control that was just like the universe was like this is what you're doing now and I was like okay and so I signed the lease and I was very scared. You know, my dad yeah. co-signed it with me because I was just like, what am I even doing? But he really believed in me, which I'm really grateful for, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got the keys in my hand on March 1st. And then COVID happened. Oh, my gosh. Wait, <laughs> March 1st, 2020? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. And I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Because I really felt like I had been pushed by, Mm -hmm. like, divinity to do this. You know, I I was like, really felt like this was what I was supposed to be doing. And I was doing it at the right time. And so there was a moment where I was really bummed. I was like, oh, my God, you know. My friends are like losing their jobs and I was teaching online and that sucked. And like, you know, oh man, it was just like everything felt really like such a bummer. You know, it was like, it was really hard to, I went from riding high on like the possibilities of my dream, you know, to just like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it was like, you know, a lot of other weird stuff happened. I guess like right before that, um, there was a guy who had been a production letterpress printer in Ocala, which is like this little town north of Tampa. And he was just getting rid of his entire shop. He wanted like nothing for it. He literally was like, I need to be out of here by, you know, it was like right before March started. It was like the very first week of March I think that I got all of his stuff out or I think it was even like March 1st because he needed to get out because he was like that was the end of his lease and he basically was getting to the point where he was like if you have a guy with a forklift here like take everything like you know I bought like one press and like one cabinet of type and I left with like a million like you know boxes of furniture boxes of ink boxes of timpans boxes of Freaking whatever. I, I left with like nine cases of type. I, you know, like a million fonts, a million things, like, you know, tons and tons and tons of, like, just it's an overwhelming amount of stuff and from this guy. It's so important, though, because it's like if those types don't go to someone else who knows and loves them, like, they just get tossed, you know, and then they're gone forever. Like, 
it's they're so important that like we have to take care of the history in that so it's so good exactly that it found you. exactly so i felt very like Bleh! like uh you know he's like take it or i'm taking it to the junkyard exactly. which is like the number one thing that you shouldn't say to me because then i will take it <laughs> and but it was pretty much like you know and then i had like a moving truck there and the guy is just like packing stuff in boxes and putting it in the truck and i don't even know what he's giving me you know it's like mm-hmm. it was so much stuff that i it was so over like even to this point like almost six months later i still have not even sorted like half of it it is just ridiculous but i i love having it all and it's so beautiful and there was a couple other rescues that happened like within this time where um you know it was kind of like okay well shit's weird like i'm just gonna you know, like look for some presses and like try to make this dog old doggy daycare beautiful. Like, um, cause at that point, you know, we're all like, Oh, two weeks to flatten the curve, you know? Right. Uh, I remember, I remember uh, yeah. those days. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Puerto Grafico is definitely still going on. Like that's going to happen. Like, yeah. Oh my God. I know. I remember when it got canceled, I was like, no, <laughs> I am always cold as a Floridian at SGCA. I'm always cold. And I was finally ready to be at a print yes. conference and in a bikini and it never happened. <laughs> and now it's going to be in Providence. Yeah, and it's going to be cold say. again. I was like, no, I know it's the Southern graphics guys. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Why is it always got to be cold even when it was in texas it was cold i was like ugh. i remember that yeah but although portland unseasonably beautiful portland was really nice um and vegas had its days but like the nights got cold because it was the desert so uh yeah i know i feel like the loss of that conference in puerto rico was was something that like it just really sucks, basically, because it felt like so significant for our community to finally have like a conference in like a Spanish speaking city when like Latin American printmaking is so huge and like bringing all this focus to that. And anyway, that's like a whole nother conversation. But yeah, like I get it. Like that was I remember those days where it was like, yeah, this is this is going to be over like a month from now. We're going to be talking about, you know. Like, remember when that crazy flu came through? It'll be fine. And then, yeah, here we are, September, and we're still, like, there's still places that are getting highest death, highest infection rates peaking, you know? It's awful and wild. Yeah, Florida, we went through some of that, like, it during the summer, which mm-hmm. is just, like, you know, typical Florida. Everybody's like, fuck it, I'll do whatever I want. And... You know, it was just, it ended up like now uh, we our deaths are pretty low. But there was a while where like, it was like, come on guys, just do the thing for like a little while so we could <laughs> stop having this. Even in Australia, people, I would meet people and they'd be like, oh, you're American? Things are really bad in Florida right now. Like that was like, in, in Australia, they <laughs> yeah. were talking about Florida. But I feel like we're like the classic scapegoat for anything anyway. Like they're always <laughs> just trying to like, they're like, at least we're not Florida. Yeah, true. Unfortunately. But it's pretty, it's like pretty normal here now. It was definitely, we got a lot of criticism because we were like the first, one of the first, I think, states to like actually open back up. And like mm-hmm. everything was very like people were like, are you kidding me? And other people were like, yeah, we do what we want. America. Right. It's right. just like it was very like weird. I don't know. And I didn't know what to do either because I was like, well, I don't know. So there was, I went through days where I was like, I'm scared. And I went through days where I was like, oh, this is dumb. You know, yeah. so it's it just like it was hard to know because of all the conflicting information. Absolutely. Like what? What to do? What do you think? What do you do? But yeah, so you were, so during the time that I think when it sounds like you were in lockdown and while Florida was having that hard time, were you really just focusing then on like fixing up the interior of your shop? Yeah. So a lot of the equipment that I got was like totally disgusting. Like I (laughs) also was given some letterpress equipment that was like in a barn for like 20 something years. Classic. You know? Yeah. Classic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, same thing where I was like, well, I don't want that to like die, you know, so, uh, yeah, I'll take it. And then, you know, I got and then there was like, oh, well, we, you know, we do you want this paper cutter? And it was like this giant <laughs> cast iron paper cutter. And it was like, yeah, I guess so. Like, you know, <laughs> and, like, 
Oh man, you know, so it's just like you know, all of it was like so, like in disrepair, yeah. and you know, it kind of felt like we had all the time in the world. Right. To well, you're like sure, like not- an eighty pound paper cutter. Like, how could that be? you know, inconvenient, right? <laughs> yeah, except that it's, like, two tons. Is it really? It's huge. <laughs> it's, like, cast iron, and it's, like, 40 inches across, and it's from, like, the 1880s. It is no joke. That thing is a monster. That's amazing, though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really beautiful now because we, like, restored it. I have this intern who I'm really lucky. She just like really loves printmaking and really just wants to hang out, you know, and she's well, I'm like, yeah, you want to come and like paint metal for like eight hours? Yeah. She's like, yeah, that's been really fun to kind of have, you know, a a second pair of hands and and she's excited. You know, I actually just taught her how to use the letterpress today, which I think was like a really full circle moment for her because she helped me restore a lot of that equipment before Mm -hmm. she knew how to use it. So it's really cool, but it was like the inside of the space was really gross and, you know, cleaning up dog hair everywhere yeah. <laughs> all the time. And and it was like all the walls were like white like a hospital. And yeah. we pre- and the floor was like disgusting. It was basically we painted like every wall and we painted the floors twice and we painted a lot of the presses and we, you know, a lot of the drums on the presses were like covered in rust. Mm-hmm. You know, the other, I got an etching press from a woman that died in Tallahassee which is like five hours north of here and you know her husband was like trying to get rid of this old press and it was just like you know I convinced my dad to like drive up to Tallahassee with me in a (laughs) U-Haul and just like weird stuff like that where it was kind of like okay well there's not really much that I can do uh except like kind of enjoy like the time of uh, of like working on this space that you know it's like things that I really enjoy anyways like spaces and fixing things and making things beautiful you know well it sounds like while no one wants a global pandemic to happen ever and particularly when she's just signed the lease on her new business right it does sound like the extra space and time really allowed you to take your time with the build out of labyrinth because of like the state of the building and everything you know um i had negotiated like that i got three three free months for build out anyway so the first three months i wasn't even paying any rent or anything i was chilling so i was kind (laughs) of like oh okay well i'm just gonna you know like have fun with it and then you know like there was some serious existential crisis action kind of in the middle of summer (laughs) where it was like, okay, now there's like a bunch of half fixed stuff and this like kind of pretty space, but like, we're still in a pandemic and like, am I ever going to be able to open this? Am I, is this just like a big mistake? What am I even doing? Mm -hmm. It was like, I was more than halfway there and I could like maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it also still felt like things were not good. You know, our numbers were really high here stuff was shutting back down. You know, we had been open a little bit and then they started shutting stuff back down. The numbers were spiking like crazy. You know, they wanted to send all the kids back to school. They're like, are we going to go back to school? Are we not going to go back to school? Are we going to do this? You know, like it was a total shit show here. And I was just like, oh my God. Cause I felt like I had been kind of going on faith that like, I was like, okay, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'll just like ride it out and do this. But then when my three months of build out kind of were over and I still had a lot of stuff I needed to do and it was still a pandemic, I was like, oh my God, what, mm-hmm. like, what have I done? You know, yeah. I was having a hard time with it. I was really like, man, I thought this was like what I was supposed to be doing, but like, maybe I'm dumb. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe. Uh, and so like, I, I don't know. And then it was like, you know, I got this nest egg. Like, I'm not like totally screwed. Like I got all of this stuff fell into my lap in like the weirdest ways. And I'm gonna like keep pushing through. And, you know, and now it, everything is really like beautiful. Our cases are way down. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff is starting to feel a little bit more normal. You know, of course, everybody's still very cautious. We've all got the masks on. We've got, like, But, you know, people are starting to gather more. People are starting to feel less, like, you know, scared all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think what it really 
is crazy to me is like the people coming out of the woodwork, like that really just want to be involved in the community. Like they're so thirsty for it. You know, they just want to be like, they want to be involved in something. Everybody's been so isolated that they just want to like do something and learn something, be creative, like, you know, do something new. And so I think, you know, it ended up being kind of this thing where I just kind of waited it out like a weird storm or something. And hoped that things were going to be good. And now I'm feeling incredibly hopeful about the opening. You know, I have a ton of really amazing artists have sent me work for the gallery. And, you know, I got a lot of, I, you know, was able to spend some of that nest egg money buying wholesale work from artists that I really love and kind of help, help support people like during a bad time too, which felt really nice. And, you know, not that like, they need my help or anything, but you know, just to be able to be like, Hey, can I give you a big paycheck now? And like, you know, buy some stuff. Yeah, That was cool. And you know, I just feel like excited, you know? Yeah. So can you, um, you know, now that we've kind of, we've, we've gotten in the story to the point where labyrinth is, is in it's almost fully realized state. Can you just give us a rundown on what, you know, cause obviously you said you still have box you haven't gone through, but like, but can you tell me like, how many presses do you have? What? How big's the gallery space? Like, are you going to be doing monthly exhibitions? Like, what's the full range right now of what Labyrinth's offering? Oh my goodness. Okay, I, it has been a wild year. Like, what a ride! But I'm glad I had like faith in the process. I still feel like it's going to be great. I agree. I have obviously my Litho Press that I got from Fate when we met, and I've got my old little etching press from the junkyard. I've got a larger etching press that is from, you know, Dead Woman in Tallahassee. I've got (laughs) two letter presses, two CMP letter presses, and one works, one does not work yet. It's, that's going to be a project for after we open, but it has a home. It's not getting any more disrepaired, you know, and you know, even then, like I, I made friends with a letterpress artist from St. Pete who's like, oh, yeah, I've got trucks for that. I've got some rollers, I think, yeah. rolling around for that size press, you know, like. And so it, it's very funny how the community works in that way. And I've also got a couple of little like, you know, business card size and like index card size little handheld letterpresses, mm-hmm. which are really cool. Those I just kind of like came into. One was from the artist in St. Pete. And I think the other one I got on eBay for like $50 or something. So it's like half broken. Yeah. It was just like one of those things where I got the alert and I was like, gotta have it. (laughs) Um, I've got also like a Glowforge laser cutter, which is really cool. I love that thing. Mm. And something that I really want to do is um, a series of online classes that are going to be on Patreon. So... I mean, the first thing I'm going to start with is the one that everyone wants to learn, which is the <laughs> the jewelry saw, cut plate, and Italio stuff. And, I, you know, I think it would be really cool to do, like, laser cutter chincole, which is awesome. And just want to get really wild with the techniques that we can do, merging the, like, contemporary technology and the super old school. Um, you know, I've done letterpress printing on chincole, gone, done with an etching before, so I feel like we could easily do stuff like that for the Patreon, especially considering that A, a good amount of my audience is online, and B, yeah. the times. I'm lucky to be working with a really cool videographer who's helping me with a ton of stuff. Because for a while, I, I am like the type of person that wants to do everything myself. And I was like, I can film myself doing that stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I can't. I, I, it's like so hard to edit yourself. I don't know how you can edit your own voice because... <laughs> I'm just like, oh, God, I look I look stupid in this. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have workshops. I'm going to start with offering more one on one and kind of having a mailing list and a kind of interest list would fill really easily. But um, lithography kind of like got to like get some people interested. And we have a bunch of like weird stuff has been happening like all over the summer, the the yoga studio that I had been going to closed and then kind of closed permanently. Mm-hmm. And so a bunch of yoga refugees have been doing <laughs> yoga in my back room of my studio, 
which has been really cool. It's kind of like we're in the warehouse and there's all this like type everywhere and we're just doing yoga. Um, so we still have yoga classes in there twice a week. And we have a lot of really cool stuff lined up that's just like talented people in the community that have things to share. I love it when art spaces diversify like that. And because mm-hmm. I feel like it really breaks down these barriers that people sometimes have around art. Like, I don't know about, about art. Art's not for me. I'm not an artist. Art's weird. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I can't draw. I suck. And it's like, no, dude. You don't even have to draw the set type. Exactly. And like, I think the more that art spaces can reach out and be like, just come in, just be in the space and be comfortable with it and get to know it, you know, through whatever that is, whether it's community courses or yoga or kids programming or classes, like whatever it is, it's like, just come and be together in an art space because this is like Mm -hmm. what being a human is about is, is sharing this kind of thing. Exactly. So like, you know, I have some really amazing people I know who maybe are not exactly like creative, but they, they have awesome skills or they're, or they're just creative and like, but they don't necessarily know anything about printmaking. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we're gonna have all kinds of cool stuff. You know, we're gonna have like herbalism, we're gonna have full moon circles. Yes. We're gonna have, you know, <laughs> some some witchy stuff for spooky season. We're going to have, you know, anything like astrology, candle making. We got a guy who could make organite that's going to do that as a workshop. Wait, you know, it's organite? just like it really does. Oh, my gosh. It is like basically this these resin sculptures with layers of organic and inorganic material that like cleanses energy. It's very like funky. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll give it a Google later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely check it out. I feel like I believe in it maybe 50%, but I have one that's really cool and I want to learn how to make it. Yeah. And I like rocks, you know. So like if you like if you like crystals and stuff and also like sculptures and like resin pouring and things like that, then that's your workshop. You know, but it's basically like I think, you know, I ended up with this kind of extra space and you know, now I have I'm I'm friends with a girl who's like a ceramics professor who's going to help me set up a little ceramics area and um you know i'm hoping that we could raise some money in the future to build a little dark room for like screen printing and you know darkroom photography if we can do it mm-hmm. and you know it's just basically like all those like analog crafts like anything that requires some sort of lab or workshop space that there's not a lot of access to you know i want to be able to provide that Yeah. And I think it's really significant to what you were saying a little bit earlier about people having this hunger now for community, because we'd really gotten so complacent, I think, you know, people were like, yeah, like, I could, you know, I could go, I could go bowling, I could go swing dancing, I could go take that ceramics class, but I'm kind of tired, and it'd be kind of expensive. So I think I'll just stay in alone and watch Netflix. And right. and then now that that's been taken away so starkly and so suddenly for everyone, I think that a lot of people are having that remorse of what they didn't do when they had the chance. So hopefully as we as we heal from this, as, you know, like touch wood this time next year when we're all vaccinated and healthy, hopefully it will kind of be a lesson learned for people and they won't wait to pursue those things. Exactly. And that they'll want to take the the darkroom classes and they'll want to go take that yoga class and they'll want to go take the letterpress class and just be around people and be around strangers and get to know them because this is something that we, we've had taken from us, you know? I mean, I say taken from us, but it's, you know, it's our own damn fault. But yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I think like, you know, for me, the thing that I just really always loved, I mean, the thing I loved about the print shop or the dark room or the yoga studio has always been the same thing. It's just community, you know, like doing those things that, you know, love to do that, you know, lights your fire, like with other people who are also excited about the same thing. I mean, it's the same reason that um, we all get so excited to nerd out on Instagram together. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know those other people like the same weird stuff as me, you know? So, you know, I really, and especially like when I see 
the the young people like especially students that are like freshly graduating and they're like how do i print in the real world or like how do i get my work seen and stuff and there's you know now there's a space for like emerging artists and you know young people to make things and learn continue learning things and also get their work seen and maybe sell some stuff and make some money you know like mm-hmm. you know i feel like it's hard to be like an emerging artist and but break out and you know you it's almost like you are in this institutional bubble and then all of a sudden you're just like thrown out into the real world and they're like okay well now go get famous and make money and you're like what do I do (laughs) you know it's like so I think it's I really see it as especially like a transitional place for emerging artists Mm -hmm. especially but I you know especially even you know, artists of all skill levels, like it's not going to be some, some shops, like, you know, I've, I've kind of had the, the cool experience of like working in a good amount of shops. And, um, especially when I was younger, I felt like people had a tendency to maybe be like judgmental or pretentious about like me being young or there being some sort of like hierarchy of skill and things like that. And, you know, I just feel like that's not how creative community should be. Like, you know, if you want to learn and you want to get better, then that should be a good thing. Yes. So I think, you know, I'm just looking for it to be like a safe space for people of all skill levels. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is the kind of thing that really makes cities, I feel like, is places where people can gather. And and not just around alcohol. Because I feel like... Oh my God, I know. Um, Like, I feel like that is the only place where people go to bond anymore is, is in a bar. And it's just, you know, which is, can be problematic for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And so being able to have community around something that like really fulfills and actually lifts you up and like, doesn't make you feel like guilty and anxious for two days afterwards. Right really is really significant and I would love our post-COVID world to recognize the significance of that because I've been thinking about that yeah like a lot a lot lately and I just love that idea that we can come together around something that's not getting fucked up together and maybe it can actually be about growing together which I think the world would be better yeah and it everything doesn't have to be like a weird competition or a weird I'm only looking out for myself and there's no like you know I feel like we've really kind of with the digital age gotten away from the free exchange of ideas and Mm -hmm. you know and the free exchange of information and and knowledge and like learning and uh and that being a bonding experience you know, I think it's also it's really nice to pair that with something like history. Like it's really cool to see like a a gin Gen Z, I guess, uh, kid, you know, printing on a letterpress from, uh-huh. you know, from 1923. It's like, yeah, it, it it spans so many generations, and and there's so much history there, and the the nonlinear path of history as like a series of like interactions between people and objects, mm-hmm. especially, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I love thinking about the history of objects and the way that they kind of almost have a a supernatural ability to cross time in a way that organic beings don't, you know? And Mm -hmm. so like that, the way that letterpress will be functioning more or less the exact same way, having the same movements in 1920 as in 2020. And it's the world that's changed around it, and it's the people that's changed around it, and it's the, it's the you know the person who created it is probably long since dead, but you can have like a twenty-two-year-old on it with everything that they're bringing to it, you know, having their own unique experience with it. And I think with with presses or with with these analog machines, there's something extra romantic in that. And I think it's the it's the mm-hmm. moving parts, it's the sound, it's their size, it's their heaviness. Like they have a an aura of unmovability, of permanence that feels very comforting in a digital world, I think. And in a world where the way things function are kind of hidden from us. Like I I touch my phone and it lights up like a Christmas tree. I have no idea how that happens. But Mm -hmm. looking at like a letterpress or looking at an etching press or watching 
watching a paper being pulled off a plate where you can see the indentation marks from the pressure. There's something really comforting in that and magic. Like we were talking about a little earlier about like the printmaking magic. You, mm-hmm. can, you can feel that when you get to do that. And it's so beautiful that part of what you're building is giving the TikTok generation a, a little bit of ancient magic there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I find that that age group ends up being like just so into it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really, it's like a beautiful thing. I am just so obsessed with the energy and mm. like history that comes with each press. And, you know, I, I name them after the people that use them before me. And I mm. have pictures of the people that, that use them before me. And I have the, the prints that were made on the press by the people before me hanging in the studio with the press. You know, I think honoring the people that came before you and the ways that the equipment was used before you. And, and I hope that my presses you know when I die will still be used like I'll I'll maintain them and that's what's beautiful about them is they're made so well yeah that like as long as you maintain them like they will live longer than me and you know I hope that some of the people that I teach will be able to use it after I'm dead and you know and maybe they could teach even the generation after them you know if global warming doesn't like murder the planet yeah I mean that's that's, (laughs) but that's a great thing right about like the the foot crank letter press right like you're not it's a low carbon yeah. footprint <laughs> production. Yeah. My one that I have, the one that I'm like trying to fix up, like apparently they do recasts of like the treadle pedal that goes on it. Mm. And I'm trying to get one of those because the one that I have is electric. And so I'm always like, what happens if there's an EMP attack or something? <laughs> like or the sun explodes and all the electronics are like fried on the planet, you know, uh, I won't be able to use my letterpress. Um, so I yeah I gotta get a foot pedal you gotta get a foot pedal for it it's it's so funny because it's the only press that that I have that like runs on electricity and when I first started using it I was like whoa this thing's like a different beast it's like its own animal (laughs) yeah what is what is this (laughs) this this witchcraft here of this electricity yeah (laughs) right oh god but I love it it's like Really, you, you kind of, you know, the, when I first started using it, I really was, like, very used to the Vandercook, but I was like, wow, this thing is going to freaking chop my fingers off. The CMP is, I've heard a lot of people say the CMP is easier, but that's, that's a lot. <laughs> like, but it's, it's very intimidating. You know, I was very intimidated, but uh, now I feel like I'm dancing with it. It's That's like, great. it has so much personality and, and so many quirks and like, you're like, Oh yeah, that roller, sometimes it does this. And you know, you gotta like jiggle it a little bit and put oil in this hole and you know, it'll work. It's like silly stuff like that. So you just like, you get to know it like it's a person. Yeah. Hearing you say that it really illustrates the way you develop relationships with these objects that are really Mm -hmm. kind of profound and intimate in their own way, you know, that that you would never develop with your iPhone, you know, like they're all the same way. Like there's no, yeah, there's no just like, oh yeah, that roller does this or this, this needs a little bit more oil. There's none of that. It's just, it's such a, such a sterile relationship with technology compared to what you're speaking of which just sounds you know really like getting to know someone yeah it's just and it's just so charming um and so tactile and it really just it it plays with all of your senses it's like Mm. you know the ink smells good the oil smells good you know there's the sound of the press and the the feel of the paper and the 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 sound of the impression and the, the just like it's just very visceral you know it's just like nothing that you can get from an artificial experience it's very real it's um and i feel like uh the further that we get from it the more people are appreciating that kind of thing for sure well before we we sign off because we've been chatting for for about an hour and i want to definitely be respectful of your time and a very busy time i'm sure can you tell people about your opening that you have coming up you're having your grand opening um and what's sorry what's the full title i've just been calling it labyrinth but it's labyrinth print shop and oh it's i'm just calling it labyrinth studios labyrinth studios kind of okay keeping it open i mean I it, yes that. it's yeah. starting as a print shop but it, it's kind of 
gonna be a catch-all for like really um creative people of all kinds Uh, i just want it to be a hub for people to feel like they can come and do their thing but yeah we're going to be like a gallery and a you know print shop and a makerspace and you know a community gathering spot beautiful and you're you're having the official opening october 1st is that correct yes i am yeah And, you know, we're kind of just going to do rolling gallery stuff for now since, like, you know, I am trying to put on a small event right now and I already am, like, very anxious about the virus. And, like, you know, I'm not, like, afraid that people are going to get the virus. I'm just, like, worried about, like, people feeling uncomfortable and, you know, I want to make sure everybody feels safe and, like, you know, we're all going to wear masks. And, like, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to know, like, uh, where, what's okay and, and what people are going to be comfortable with. And so, you know, I think it's going to be more of like a rolling, always open retail gallery type mm-hmm. space, uh, where people can always come and feel welcome. Um, and then hopefully next year, like, you know, maybe after the election and COVID once there's a vaccine and everything and stuff's like starts mellowing out, then we can have more workshops, more events, and especially I encourage like anybody that's in the Florida area, heck, I don't care if you're in Florida, wherever you're at, like if you want to be involved in a print community and, you know, you're a, a wandering printer, you know, it, it, everybody's welcome. Mm. My doors are open for anybody that wants to learn, anybody that wants to print. That's really what it's about is sharing the love. That is so good. So please let people know where they can find Labyrinth Studios online and where they can find you and all that good stuff. Maybe see pictures of Conrad, your dog, occasionally. Um. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I do. And I have chickens now because I kind of started to think the world was going to end. So that impression. It was feeling a little apocalyptic for a minute there. But yeah, if you want to see pictures of my dogs and chickens and my artwork and my studio, my um, main Instagram handle is Allie Norman Prince, but um, the Labyrinth handle is labyrinth.tampa. Um, I use Instagram a lot. I, I also made a Facebook, but I don't know how to use it. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And um, I have a website that will have, you know, merch and art and all kinds of stuff starting on the first also. And that's just labyrinthtampa.com. Beautiful. Well, I'll, I'll, I hope that wasn't too much of a rambling story. No, <laughs> not at all. Like, I, I think it was beautiful, honestly. Like, it was, a, it was like an epic journey of like the hero's tale you know like where where you were set on a course by fate and then you know a a storm like threw your ship against the rocks and then you were on a new island but then you could see where you're trying to go it was beautiful yeah i really felt like i was on my own little odyssey here you were definitely on your odyssey so Thank you for for sharing that, because I think that it's just really wonderful to hear a story about someone in the arts with a dream that is still doing it and still moving forward, you know, in a time where it feels really overwhelming for people. And so many congratulations to you on your, your courage and your persistence, and I wish you all the best for the opening. I wish I could be there, but I will be following it closely on your social media. And congratulations, Ali. It's very well deserved. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you again. Yeah, you too. And hopefully we'll see each other soon. We'll, we'll have an SGCI or, you know, maybe when the world stops ending, you can come visit me and thailand at some point because you can definitely wear a bikini here all year round so (laughs) oh my god that is what i want i would love i've always wanted to go there so hopefully i definitely will be seeing you at sgc sometime though yes because i'm not giving those up forever no and so yeah i'm here for (laughs) at least two years i've got a two-year contract with the gallery i'm working for so I know you'll be a small business owner, but should you uh, get any chance, you'll be very welcome. I'll I'll show you the Thai printmaking scene. It's it's amazing here. They're incredible oh printmakers. So 
Yeah. So stay in touch, okay? Wow. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ali. I will. Um, I'll be releasing it about I think this time next week, right before your opening. So see if we can drum up a little more interest and support for you. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me back on. Yeah. So much fun to talk to you. So good to catch up. You take care, okay? All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Deb Cheney. We'll talk about her journey from falling in love with lithography as an undergraduate at the University of Knoxville, took her to eventually where she is today, dividing her time between working as a master printer in Brooklyn and France. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.